Welcome to Alphabet Soup, a podcast where we're going to work our way through a wide variety of biblical topics using the alphabet. Our goal, of course, is to understand the Bible better, but we also want to find ways in which Scripture applies to our daily lives. So with that intro, let's get to it. Welcome to part two of K is for Kingdom. And as we said at the end of part one, we're going to take a closer look at each of these five uses of the word kingdom in the Bible. In fact, we did number one at the end of part one, uh, the political entities on earth, and uh, made some observations about how we should respond to what the Bible says about that. Number two, what the Bible says about God's universal kingdom. This is the kingdom that, that includes everything that is. All of creation and God's sovereignty over all of creation. It is all within his kingdom and he reigns and does as his good will sees fit. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Ephesians 1.11 says, He works out all things in accordance to the counsel of his will. He's sovereign over all of creation and nothing happens outside the will of God. I think it's fun and instructive that 200, uh, 250 years ago, uh, here in this country, and I'm assuming in Europe too, they often referred to God as providence, capital P. Why? They were, they were giving testimony by that, that he does all things well, that he's in control, and that he does things well. And by calling him providence, they were giving thanks, weren't they? They were acknowledging his sovereignty and his goodness. Think of the chaos that would be in both the natural world and, and the social world if God were not in control. How many times has creation come to the brink of self-destruction? The seasons progress each after the other and have since the beginning of creation. And things stay in balance. And things don't always go well, but, but the providential rule of God, it is all his kingdom. And I need to remember that. Sometimes I look at our current situation and I could, I could get my tail in a major knot here and wonder how in the world are we going to survive this? And I have to remind myself, that this is God's kingdom, and it will end when he says it's going to end. And no matter how close to the brink it seems to me that we come, nothing will happen outside of God's perfect timing. And when in his perfect timing the end comes, nothing can forestall it. And so why do I fret? Why do I worry? I watch the news. I'm kind of a news freak. I watch the news with interest and considerable concern. But I must not let that concern distract me from my conviction that God is in control and does all things well. It is all God's work. And my response ought to be humble thankfulness for his providence. Okay, with that on number two, let's move on to number three. God's spiritual kingdom, which we said is made up of all the redeemed. Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Notice that it is all God's work. He moved me, he moved you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. 
uh, okay, uh, an aside, I have no idea who's listening to this. I think I've mentioned it before. I get no metrics whatsoever. I don't know if it's 10 people or 10,000, though I'm pretty sure it's inclined more to the 10. I love hearing from you. I, I, I got two responses yesterday, maybe it was two days ago, of people who said, hey, I'm listening to the podcast. I love getting those because I had no idea that either one of them was listening. So it's kind of fun for me to hear. Um, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the term dispensationalism. There are two major schools of theology, and each of them comes and re- comes to the Bible and reads the Bible with a different perspective. Covenant theology says that there is one people of God, what is referred to as Israel in the Old Testament, and the church, the body of Christ in the New Testament, is one people of God, simply uh, referred to with two different terms, and that what is said of one is true of the other, and that what appear to be differences between them should be understood as figures of speech, should be understood as um, allegorical. The dispensational approach, by contrast, reads the Bible literally, uh, not allegorically. There isn't time to go into the, to the fine points of these distinctions. And that Israel in the Old Testament is a separate people of God, and that the church, the body of Christ, is distinct from the nation Israel. And that, for example, God gave the nation of Israel in the Old Testament a prophetic agenda, a timetable, uh, promises that he will fulfill for them. He gave the body of Christ a different uh, future that he has spelled out and that he has given to us that we will, well, wait a minute, I'm going to save that. I'm going to save that for later. Okay, Uh, if this is new to you, uh, then I want to recommend, here's shameless self-plug, I want to recommend a book to you. The title is Understanding Your Bible, An Introduction to Dispensationalism, written by yours truly, what, maybe 15 years ago. It's available on Amazon. You get slammed for 10 bucks to buy it. It's a paperback. It is written with the cookies on the bottom shelf. I wrote this book for lay people. It is not a scholarly work. It lacks footnotes. It lacks, it lacks oodles and oodles of references to verses and to other authors who have said this and that on such and such. It's written to be easily digested and understood. And it will explain to you the differences between covenant theology and dispensational theology and why I am thoroughly committed to dispensational theology, why I think it is the only proper way to read and understand uh, especially prophetic passages in the Bible, but many others. Why is it that God told Adam and Eve they could eat any fruit of any tree except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And then he told Noah, okay, you can go eat meat, that Adam and Eve and their descendants were vegetarians until we get to Noah and they were suddenly omnivores. And then we get to the Mosaic Law, and he says, okay, you can eat meat, but not these animals, only animals that chew the cud and divide the hoof, and you can only eat fish that have fins and scales. And then why is it that God tells Paul to tell us, you can eat anything you want so long as it's received with thanksgiving? Why did God tell 
the Jews, you have to practice circumcision, and if you don't, that person is not part of. And then Paul says, circumcision doesn't count for anything, and uncircumcision doesn't count for anything. It's a wash, folks. How do we explain these differences? Do we allegorize them, or do we take them literally at face value and understand that God has had different programs for his people at different times. That latter explanation is dispensationalism. So again, understanding your Bible and introduction to dispensationalism, you will find it an easy read, but I do believe you're going to find it very helpful. I say all of that to say that that, um, God's uh, spiritual kingdom, which is all of the redeemed, is made up of all of the redeemed no matter when they lived because salvation is not a dispensational truth. That is to say, sin has been the universal problem no matter when a person lived. And and the payment for sins is a blood sacrifice no matter when the person lived. In Hebrews 9 we read, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sins. Prior to the cross, God in his grace accepted an animal sacrifice, a lamb that was offered in faith. We read at the beginning of of, uh, Leviticus that the offerer laid his hands on the head of the lamb and so transferred his sins to that lamb who was then slaughtered at the altar. And that that represented, and he accepted by faith that that lamb was dying for his sins. And God accepted that imperfect sacrifice until his son came and offered the perfect sacrifice. And so, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins, Hebrews 9. Hebrews 11, the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away the sins of the world. God accepted it as a temporary until his son died and made the ultimate sacrifice and the effective sacrifice. But what we all have in common, Adam and Eve and Abraham and David and the prophets and Paul and me, what we all have in common is that we placed our faith in the provision that God made available to us. And by virtue of accepting that, we enter into God's spiritual kingdom. And it doesn't make any difference when we leave, lived, what dispensation we are part of. We are all members of the redeemed by faith in God's provision. And so I think about my relationship with those Old Testament guys and ladies, and I am eager to meet them. I want to sit down. I've got all eternity to do it. I want to sit down and have conversations with Abraham. I've got a boatload of questions for that man. And David and Ruth. Oh, what, what questions I've got for Ruth. We are all members of God's spiritual kingdom comprised of all of the redeemed. It is, we were all saved by God's worth and he has delivered us all from the domain of darkness and transferred all of us to the kingdom of his beloved son. It is all God's work and we, are all, we all have that in common. And so, let's, those of us who are dispensationalism, dispensationalists, let's not draw lines where they don't exist and let's not send 
Abraham and David and Adam and Seth and let's not all send them into some other room in God's great house. Let's sit down and have dinner together, shall we? We are all part of God's spiritual kingdom. Okay, that's number three. Let's go on to number four, the millennial kingdom. And, and here we've got the same thing. We've got, we've got to straighten out the relationship between dispensational distinctions. God had a unique program for Israel that is separate from his program for the church, the body of Christ. For the nation Israel, he had animal sacrifices. He had holy days on the calendar that had to be observed. He had rules and regulations for things like what could be eaten and what must not be eaten. About how they dressed, you shouldn't mix fabrics of linen and wool and wear them at the same time. He had about days and hours and new moons and festivals and feast days. And in the, in the dispensation of God's grace where we live now, uh, those rules are set aside and I can eat what I want and circumcision doesn't count for anything and I can wear rayon, nylon, and wool and linen all at the same time. I think I probably am right now. I'm wearing so many clothes to fight off the cold in this office. And I don't have to worry about that. And Paul says, one man considers one day holier than another and another one considers all day all days equal, and it doesn't make any difference. They're both fine before the Lord and should not judge each other. Look at the contrasts between God's relationship and rules and regs and so forth with Israel and his relationship with us. It is all by grace. We are all saved by grace through faith in his provision, whether a lamb before the cross or the blood of Christ after the cross. But the day-to-day rules and regs, in the millennial kingdom, now what do we do? Now, are we all participants or not? Let me just, as an aside, explain that I grew up in a dispensational church. I was taught the distinctives of, uh, of a dispensational hermeneutic, pardon the word, uh, from, from my earliest days, and I understood. But... There was in the church I grew up in the tendency of some to draw lines where lines should not be drawn. Al Lowen is with the Lord now. Al Lowen was our worship leader. This was back when there was a piano and an organ and hymnals. And Al Lowen got up and told us to turn to page number 246 in the hymnal. And we did that because Al Lowen told us to. He didn't really need to tell us to because it was in the bulletin and we all knew that it was coming up, but he told us to. And then he told us if, if we should stand or if we should stay seated. And then we sang, and he told us what verses we were going to sing, verses 1, 2, and 4, or 1, 3, and 4, or, or, or. We did what we were told. We never sang hymns. It was all hymns. We never sang hymns that had the word kingdom in them because Al Owen, who chose the hymns, at least I think he did, said the kingdom, the millennial kingdom is for Israel. It is not for the body of Christ. Israel has an earthly hope. We have a heavenly hope. And members of the body of Christ have nothing to do with the millennial kingdom. And so we didn't sing those. I have been to other dispensational churches, mid-Acts dispensational churches, I should specify. Uh, and, And if you don't understand that, for Pete's sake, order the book on Amazon, okay? Just do it, all right? Anyhow, 
uh, we weren't going to have any part in the kingdom, therefore we should not sing songs that had the word kingdom in them. I have been to other churches, as I said, where they would change the words. They would change. Now, this could only be done after the advent of the uh, overhead projector uh, or or digital projection where they could they could go in and change the words from kingdom to something else depending on the song had to have the right number of syllables obviously oh my goodness oh my goodness where do they get the notion that we must not have anything to do with the millennial kingdom now i'm going to i'm going <laughs> to after you read understanding your bible and introduction to dispensationalism if you read it thoughtfully, you'll tilt your head to your to its side and scratch your temple and say, yeah, but what about? And so there's a sequel. Questions in Dispensationalism that I wrote about three years ago. And it takes some of these and, and goes into them in more detail. And one of the things it goes into in more detail is what is the relationship between a member of the body of Christ, like you and me, and the millennial kingdom? There are six times in the Pauline letters where he uses the word kingdom and it may refer to the millennial kingdom. I said that there are 14 times where Paul uses the word kingdom. Six of those may or may not refer to our participation in, our involvement in the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. And in the second book, Questions in Dispensationalism, I take each of those six and look at them more closely. There isn't time to do that here. And so if you want it, if you want to do that, get Questions in Dispensationalism. Another 10 bucks, you can afford it. All right. Uh, but the bottom line, skip to the chase, dude, there is no clear definitive answer. A case could be made that that is a reference to the millennial kingdom and our involvement with it, or equally, no, 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 it doesn't say that. It is God's universal kingdom, or. However, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul says that we will be caught up to meet him in the air. That's referred to as the rapture will be caught up to meet him in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Listen to those words. The rapture which precedes the tribulation, the tribulation which precedes the millennial kingdom, the rapture, we are caught up to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now the question is, where is the Lord? Where is Jesus Christ during the millennial kingdom? The answer is simple. He's going to be on earth. He's going to be ruling the world from Jerusalem. And if Paul says, so shall we ever be with the Lord, I'm going to be there too. I'm going to be with the Lord on earth, enjoying his reign. There are all kinds of details of this that could be discussed at this point that we don't have time for. But I am looking forward to the millennial kingdom. I am looking forward to experiencing an earth full of justice and righteousness and peace because that's what Isaiah says is going to be going on when Christ is ruling for, from Jerusalem. He will rule with an iron hand and justice and peace will prevail. And I'm looking forward to being part of that because I'm going to be with the Lord. That's what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. 
I look at the millennial kingdom as the climax of human history. Adam and Eve enjoyed the Garden of Eden. They made a mess of things, didn't they? And everything went south. The creation got all messed up, weeds and thorns, and the fear of man in the animal kingdom, and and conflict uh, within the realm of humanity. And all of that is going to be gone when Christ reigns on earth, and I'm going to be here for it. And you're wondering, now, wait a minute. How does that work out? Okay, so get the second book, all right? So we discussed that, and we can't do it here. But I will be on earth for the, for the millennial kingdom. And I never heard the Lord's Prayer in the church I grew up in because it ends with, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I gladly now say the Lord's Prayer. I look forward to his millennial kingdom. I look forward to a time when his will is done on earth as it is now in heaven. We're not there yet. We are in the broadest sense. But God did not intend this kind of conflict on earth. And there is peace in heaven. And there will be a thousand year reign when there will be peace on earth. And I'm going to be here for it. And if you can't deal with that, well, you're welcome to stay in heaven. I'm not going to be there. Okay, quickly. Number five, the eschatological kingdom. And again, Al Lowen and several other, several others in my church taught that we will have nothing to do with the new, with the new earth. We will be in the new heavens because, again, Israel has an earthly hope and we have a heavenly hope. And I got to confess that even as a kid, I scratched my head and wondered, where are we going to be in heaven? Are we going to be on Mars? Are we going to be on some unnamed planet? Are we going to be floating around in the great universe? Why? Why is that? Why would dispensational distinctions, the divisions of the dispensations and God's separate, separate rules and regs, within the dispensation of human history, why would those apply in eternity future? The one thing that takes us into the eschatological kingdom is our faith in God's provision, which takes us into the kingdom of the redeemed, God's universal kingdom. And we all have that in common. And dispensational distinctions are within time and space And when we get to the eschatological kingdom, there is neither time nor space. And so I will participate. I'm firmly convinced because I will always be with the Lord and he will be here on earth ruling in peace and righteousness. And I'm going to be here with him. And when we get to the other side, when we get to the new heavens and the new earth, when we get to eternity future, we're all of the redeemed. All of the spiritual kingdom are going to be together for eternity, and that's going to be wonderful. And don't you dare send me into outer space someplace. I don't want to be there. I want to be with God's redeemed people and with my Lord and Savior for eternity. And I believe that that is the new heavens and the new earth of Revelation 21 and 22. Okay, listen, we've gone through this way too fast, and I'll confess, I'm sitting here freezing. So, again, I look forward to your feedback, either on the Facebook page, which is Alphabet Soup, or on uh, getting your feedback through ABC Soup Podcast at gmail.com. And I heard from somebody 
who said they couldn't find our Facebook page. And they sent me that message through the email. And I sent them a link to the Facebook page. And you can do the same thing. Look forward to hearing from you with any kind of feedback, whatever it is. Thanks for being here. God bless.